Do you want to hear an out-of-context summary? Yes, it's here. I haven't heard one in so long. I might be out of practice. You can go ahead and laugh anyway, though, if they're not funny. In this episode, Kathy gets creeped out by a mall clown. We use the good china to set the table for a 10-year-old's birthday party. And we find out that a lot of people will do a lot for very little money in this town. Thank you for coming back from our replay reviews. My name is Leah. And my name is Kathy. We are two friends who are here to replay, review, and analyze your favorite video games. And since Kathy has never seen the games before, it helps me view them through her fresh eyes, almost like I'm discovering them again for the first time. We hope it will be a similar experience for you. We're back! (laughs) (laughs) We're back! Way ahead of schedule, hopefully it'll stay that way. Well, we are playing Heavy Rain a game that has been out for 13 years, almost to the day. And it's our first David Cage game, and that will mean nothing to you right now. But through the course of this podcast, it will mean something to you. First thoughts on part one? This game took me through a roller coaster of emotions, starting with waiting for the shoe to drop, then increased anxiety, sadness, And then ends the game, or at least part one, with increased anxiety again. Okay, so we meet Ethan, our main character, who is working and also preparing for his son's birthday party. So we see see Ethan just wandering around in his house, and then he picks up a photo frame of, is it him and Grace, his wife? Yeah. Is this a John Wick situation where she's dead, and then we're going to get some flashback of happy moments they were together? We don't know, but that was my first reaction. And part of it is getting to know how to use the the controls. But the other part is also, what is he doing? Just wandering (laughs) around in his room? Yeah, these controls are notorious. uh, Very notorious. It's more work to brush your teeth in this game than it is to brush your teeth in real life. Also, (laughs) major FBM. Mm -hmm. Do we talk about butts too much in this podcast? Well, maybe if the game stopped showing butts, we would stop talking about it. You know what? You're right. It's not our fault. We're just pointing out a trend. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And I thought that it was going to like protect its modesty besides this hip bone from the little corner thing. But no, it, it I was like, oh, okay. Like, thank goodness. She gives him some modesty and then bam, butt crap. And here's a butt front and center. And then we see a side profile of him after he's showering. It's a question it. I don't know yeah. I don't know why it's necessary. We also see a lot of mm, I don't know if it's intentional, but moments where they show it from an angle where you can see his wedding band sparkle on his hand. And in my notes I was like, hmm, is this foreshadowing a death of his wife Grace or maybe a divorce on the horizon? Probably because he's drinking straight out of the orange juice carton. <laughs> And needing three different currents of orange juice in his fridge. Yeah, that is a little questionable. And also, we gotta give some recognition that Grace is doing literally everything from picking up the groceries <laughs> with two kids, which is not an easy feat. And then she comes home, has to carry all three grocery bags by herself. And then she also has to prepare and do a million things, a billion things that she has to do. 
while Ethan's just out there playing with Sean and Jason. Even though his wife says she has to do so much stuff, he only does like the dishes or even sets out four plates. Maybe she was a little late asking for help, but I will say he slowly puts down four plates. He does because they're her mother's china and why they're being set out before a 10 year old's birthday party. We both uh, reacted to that. We don't mm-hmm. we don't understand that. <laughs> Where are the paper plates with Scooby-Doo on them? Come on. But anyways, we find that Sean's upstairs because of the pet bird is dead. Merlin, correct? Yes. And I'm wondering, is this foreshadowing something related to like the bird dying to something or even how Sean says that he's willing to give up anything for the bird to live which will come back around Mm -hmm. to talk about that but (laughs) yes we will because I have a wild theory (laughs) yeah but it's it's just not time yet it's not time to disclose the theory so we'll come back to this dead bird continuing on the family takes a trip to what me uh We're a little out of practice. My apologies. Okay. (laughs) Later on, the family takes a trip to what must be the most crowded mall ever to exist. They split up purposefully when Grace and Sean go to buy some shoes and then accidentally on... We are out of practice. (laughs) And then accidentally a bit later on when Jason wanders off into the crowd. Ethan is trantically... Oh my gosh. I need someone to slap me. <laughs> I'll come over to slap you real quick. <laughs> Ethan is frantically trying to find Jason! And eventually catches up to him just in time to save him, maybe, from being hit by a car. He definitely jumps in front of the car. He's between the car and Jason, but it doesn't work. Jason dies. Wow, he just jumped right into that <laughs> part. Well, I thought you were going to go or summary level into... What? <laughs> I was not expecting that. I had to rip off the band-aid because oh my, my question is, how did Jason die if Ethan was between him and the car? Oh, okay, okay, hold on. We, we got a couple things to talk about. Let's jump. I, I want to address that real quickly. What if this entire game is if it's it's some crazy where they put a spell where oh god I, I, where are we going? I'm just gonna throw throw it out here because I don't know. But what if it's some destiny changing thing? The moment when Sean says I would do anything to save him, and Jason's life is tied to the bird. Where the bird dies, Jason dies, but if doing something to change it, maybe... Okay, hold on, because that's my theory. (laughs) No way! That's my theory. Here. Okay, there's two. Okay. So he says, in his childlike, child state of sadness, not being able to process this, this is kind of a big thing, that Ethan sort of just skates Uh over. And Mm -hmm. he says, Sean says, I'd give anything for him to come back to life. Is it possible that he made a deal with the devil? (laughs) (laughs) Sean? Yes. To bring the bird back to life. And is the cost of that Jason's life a life for a life? Now, we don't know. Does Merlin come back to life? Could could it be? I actually thought because Sean said that, 
maybe the bird's death was already the the effect of him doing something. Maybe Sean said that when Jason died to spare Jason, Merlin died. So it's the reverse where because Ethan jumps out to save Jason, I think that the save was successful. So does that answer my question? If Ethan was between the car and Jason, how does he die? It's because <laughs> the life because for life. Because Merlin. Yeah. Yeah. That's why even though he was in position to save him, Jason still dies, even though he did not directly get hit by the car. And Ethan is just in a coma for six months, which just is putting it lightly. But is that why even though he was between him, he could not be saved? Because it was written in the accord that Sean made with the devil. No, life no, for no. a life. I think it's no. I don't think that. I think the opposite actually. Hold on. I have one more thing before you tell me no. Okay. So skipping ahead just a little bit. It is a natural response to be devastated if you lose a sibling. We'll start with that. Not trying to make light of that. But could the reason that he feels so horrible... And he is so depressed because he thinks, even if he didn't purposely do it, if he in his head was like, whoever's listening, I'll do anything to have Merlin come back to life. So does he think that his wish or whatever could have been the cause of Jason's death? And so he blames himself. No, I don't think so. I think he's just, oh gosh, I have another theory. Hold on. Go, 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 go. Let me, let me just write it, write it down. This has already gone so far off the rails. I was not expecting this. (laughs) So taking a step back first, though, I want to clarify that my theory is that the bird died in order to save Jason. So I think Jason and Ethan are still alive. And then here's where you do the whole rewind thing. Say that it wasn't successful, that Ethan couldn't save Jason in time. And they're at the scene. Grace rushes over. And then Sean goes, I would do anything to save. So a life for a life. And then everything rewinds back to the moment where Sean's in front of Merlin and Merlin's dead. And it's only because Merlin's death spared Jason and Ethan's death. Which then brings me to my second theory. What if they both are alive, but Ethan is still in a coma And he's just going through the effects in his mind, in his comatose state, of what it would have happened if he didn't get there in time. So, right now, everyone's still alive, besides Merlin, because they have sacrificed Merlin. Wait, wait, though. What if, what What if Ethan, so when Sean says, I'd do anything to bring him back to life, what if Ethan's dreaming in his coma, and Sean's actually saying this about Ethan? So... (laughs) <laughs> is Merlin's life sacrificed in order to save Jason or Ethan then? I don't know how he got here in 18 minutes. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> if if he's in a coma, he's dreaming this and he's just hearing Sean say, I'd do anything to bring him back to life. And his weird dream brain. You know how when you're dreaming and you hear something externally mm-hmm. and you put it in your dream? Mm-hmm. Like that's what he's mm-hmm. doing. And so Sean's talking about Ethan. And not Merlin. So what about Jason? Is Jason dead or alive then? I don't know. And then how did Ethan get to his comatose state? I think we're so wrong. (laughs) We might be wrong, but it is also a valid thing. I did not expect 
so much to hinge on Merlin the bird at this point. <laughs> and I know that that's not why people are here. Wait. Oh. Oh, <laughs> oh God. She's note we taken. Go. That street that, isn't it Canary Northern Street? I don't think so. It's close. So let me um scroll down. Can I have you... it written down. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Carnaby Corner North. Oh. Damn, we were so... What if it was, though? Seriously. Carnaby. Okay, Carnaby Northern? Google Carnaby. What does that mean? Here we go. It just means like a village. A Carnaby bird is also known as... It's Carnaby's black cockatoo. Also (gasps) known as a short-billed black cockatoo. It's found in southwest Australia. You can find anything you want on the internet to support your theory. <laughs> this is proof. <laughs> We're going to put more Merlin the Bird to rest. R.I.P. Friend. Freaking clowns. My goodness. I That clown looked so creepy. The makeup was just so gloomy and depressing. Oh, Murder vibes. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing worse than a clown is a mall clown. Seriously. Another wild theory I'm just going to throw out. But what if the clown is part of like a group of people that are... Never mind. I'm going to put this part when we see the, the, the merry-go-round later. Okay. But Keep listening, people, this- to hear Kathy's clown theory. You don't want to miss it. Yes. Yes. Uh, but I also want to take this opportunity on our platform just for a quick PSA for what happens if you lose your kid in a crowd of people is that you don't shout their name. Jason! Jason, no one's going to know who your son Jason is and why you're shouting them. What you do is you say, red shirt, black pants, boy, brown hair. And so people actually know what to look for when your kid is missing in a group of people or a potential kidnapping situation. And it's pretty effective compared to just shouting out your kid's name. So PSA. Yeah, actually, it works. Uh, You lost me in the mall today. (laughs) You had to describe me to people. Mm-hmm. She's my it's daughter. It's a adult woman, but child-sized, blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> Two years after the accident, Ethan is picking Sean up from school, and it seems obvious that he and Grace have split up. Yeah, definitely. I don't think we see a ring on his hand anymore. It's definitely difficult, and I'm wondering, is he getting any therapy? Because it's not just only affecting him. You can totally see by the body language of... Sean, not that we get much body language from video game characters, but Sean seems pretty down, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like the only major color in that house is coming out of the TV. And the orange juice. So, moral of the story, yes. relationships fade. Orange juice is forever. Buy yourself some Tropicana. While Ethan works to keep Sean on schedule, he picks up a newspaper that reads, Origami Killer Strikes Again, the seventh victim identified. The police have confirmed that the modus operandi is indeed that of the origami killer. At the end of the scene, I'm wondering if Ethan's the origami killer. So this is a killer with a history. So how does that tie into your theory? If it's Ethan, how does that tie in if this killer already has a history? I mean, depending how far back the history goes, I can't remember. But what if it's that Ethan is killing people, but he doesn't know it? Because later when he gets a letter, what if there's poison in that letter that hypnotizes him that he's being used? So it's not like he's the one who's thinking of 
killing people. It's that his body's being manipulated and hypnotized to be killing people. Don't know exactly if this is a, a valid theory, though. See, that does maybe make sense for me, because one thing I don't understand is why anyone would pick up that letter, read it, which says... When the parents came home from church, all their children were gone. They searched and called for them, they cried and begged, but it was all to no avail. The children have never been seen again. This is very ominous. I would be extremely, yeah, I'd be extremely disturbed. I would have locked every door, every window, close all the blinds. He just sets it down and keeps going. He walks outside, plays a sad, soggy game of basketball in the rain. So does he have this reaction because subconsciously he knows who this letter is from and what it means? I think so. It's not a normal reaction. Like, why aren't you seeing who sent it? Why don't you double check the envelope for details? It gives me chills even thinking about what that letter talks about. Okay, okay, I have a question for you. I don't know if the writers of this game are are British. How do you spell pajamas, Kathy? P-A-J-A-M-A-S? That's how I would spell it. In this game, though, the subtitles spell it as P-Y-J-A-M-A-S. That's not pajamas, that's pyjamas. (laughs) <laughs> I'm Googling how do you spell it like that because i did notice also they spelt neighborhood with a u so maybe it's the you are right pajamas is commonwealth is that it's what it is what it's called i've always called I, it just I, like british or english spelling is it <laughs> but it's it's multiple um nations i think it's uh oh. political association of 56 member states which most of them are part of the British Empire. I've heard of Commonwealth laws and everything. Yeah. But I didn't realize what exactly it is. All right. Mystery yeah, solved. Yeah, we're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> it's mildly fascinating. After putting Sean to bed and unsuccessfully hunting for his teddy bear, Ethan has some sort of episode. He's shaking, sweating, and apparently eventually blacks out because he wakes up in the middle of the street, Carnaby Corner North, not Canary. Sorry, Kathy. And then after the initial shock wears off, he realizes that he's holding an origami figure, I think a dog, in his hand. Mm-hmm. Pretty suspicious when he just read an article about an origami killer. And I don't like how we don't get more because how far is the street from his home? I want more details. Well, we're not going to get any because we're going to move on to scene two where we are now controlling a new character, Scott Shelby, who's looking for a woman named Lauren Winter. He arrives at a very seedy motel, which we both got Wolf Among Us vibes from. Go back, check out season one. And he asks the desk clerk about Lauren Winter, and he only reveals her room after being bribed? Five dollars, though. Is that really how how easy it is to bribe somebody? Five dollars? Hard times in this city. Also, this guy, the clerk, is reading, I believe, the same newspaper that Ethan picked up, but the continuation of the front page story, and basically indicates that the police have no leads. And then Scott goes up to Lauren, and this is when we learn that she is a lady of the night, and she only charges 50 bucks. Um, 
I guess for I don't, ten minutes. I that's true. Like I don't know the going rate. Does does it really seem worth it? But yes, that's like what three hundred bucks an hour. I know, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. So he uh, gains entry under false pretenses, and this is when we learn that Scott Shelby is a private investigator who has been hired by the families of the origami killer victims, and he's here to ask Lauren some questions because her son, Johnny, was a victim. I'm wondering if they go to church or if this is a church-related thing between, like, after another sneak peek of the newspaper, piecing that together with the letter that they have. What's the common link? And... This is the first time where we, we get some comments about the amount of rain they get. So that ties in with that title of heavy rain. Maybe it has something to do with murders happening whenever it's raining. Well, interesting that you say that because we don't get a whole lot out of Lauren. The only detail she really tells Scott is that it was raining. She's definitely not happy about being questioned. And as soon as those 10 minutes are up, she asks him to leave, which he does. But on his way out of the motel, he has an asthma attack in the hallway, during which a man walks past him and forces himself into Lauren's room. Remind you of Bigby Wolf? <laughs> yeah, another, yeah, seedy motel fight scene. But also, they demolish her apartment. It's destroyed. Are we ready for scene three? Mm-hmm. I'm really excited. We meet an FBI agent at the crime scene of the latest origami killer victim. So this car pulls up, driven by someone with trembling hands, holding a vial of blue liquid. He gets out of the car and says, Rod, my hands are trembling. I gotta keep my act together. At least for now. I feel like, why are we portraying so much good people who do something and then they become bad people because they become addicted or everything? Like, Do you think that's the case with this character too, where... He's, like, either relying on drugs or something in order to solve a case. It is interesting, though, because so far we have Ethan with blackout episodes, Scott Shelby with asthma attacks, and then this guy with, with the mystery shakes. So what's going on? Why are all these characters having issues? Mm -hmm. And is there some weird connection with that? We are introduced to one of my all-time favorite video game characters, Agent Norman Jaden. He's looking for Lieutenant Carter Blake, and he soon finds him. Blake gives him the lowdown on the case. A body was found two hours ago, and they believe the crime was committed by the origami killer. And then, yeah, Jaden has some crazy contraption called Ari. Seems to help him analyze evidence, record data, kind of like a mobile office. But it's almost like some Ari's like some AI, so it's artificial something intelligence, artificial uh, retina intelligence. I don't know. I'm just spouting nonsense. But I'm wondering <laughs> if using that and the glove, needing the blue vial or something, is what gives him some really cool technology to be able to work and to point at something using his gloved hand in order to research stuff. And if the trade-off to that is having shaky hands or something that's probably pulling him apart. But my other theory is that between Ethan, Shelby, and him, maybe the connection is all three of them are parents of kids who either died or something that makes this whole case of figuring out the origami killer so personal. 
Jaden searches the crime scene and the victim, and some notable finds are... On the victim, there is an orchid, an origami figure in his right hand, and he experienced an advanced and long-lasting state of exhaustion. Jaden says he was drowned and his face was covered with mud, like all the other origami killer victims. My question is, is the origami in the hands of someone who is about to die or who died? Because if it's the the victim themselves, that means Ethan's going to die. If it's the parents of the kids that are being kidnapped, something's going to happen to Sean. So mm-hmm. we need a bit more clarification on what the identity of the people who hold the origami, what they mean and who right. they are. Basically, what's the thread? What's the connection between the origami mm-hmm. in Ethan's hand and this victim's hand? And then also around the crime scene, Jaden finds orchid pollen, footprints, tire prints, and he states that there are train tracks nearby, which is the same for all the other victims of the origami killer. Final scene of this episode, we're back to Ethan, and he's at a doctor's appointment. You said he needed some help. Looks like he's getting it. After which, he takes Sean to the park, and he's able to do a good job of cheering him up until things go pretty bad. But before we get there... It seems like a psychological appointment, right? He's seeing a psychologist mm-hmm. of some sort. Uh, but it he- also looks like a private practice because oh, yeah. you see the words ego on the side and then you see the background and it's it gives the similar... What do you call those things at churches where they have those windows? Stained with glass. Oh, yeah, the stained glasses. You have that. And so I'm wondering, is this doctor related to the origami killer or the letter because of something about churches? I'm going to take that, and I'm going to run with it. Yes, please. I've always thought the interior of this office was a little bit odd. Maybe this is why he can't afford better housing. Maybe this is just a really expensive doctor, but it does resemble a church in a way. So if we go back to the coma theory, is he in like a Catholic hospital? And that's why things (laughs) look look like a church? We're just keeping our wild theories alive in case Mm -hmm. they're right. But the coma Mm -hmm. theory is not my top theory. (laughs) It sounds like he blames himself for Jason's death and he's close to giving up. Also, the blackout was not a one-off, it sounds like. And the doctor indicates that the level of brain trauma he experienced can have unknown effects. And he was in a coma for about six months. I don't know how I missed that the first time I played this game. I was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. He was in a coma. That's a long time, though, to be in a coma. He was out six months. Now at a park, Sean seems to be having some fun. Ethan's doing a pretty good job of making him feel better until he loses him. Um, <laughs> to be fair, he had another blackout, and he ends up at the same street corner. <laughs> it was going so well, Kathy. It was, but then you also knew something was going to go south by how sad the music was when he was playing on the seesaw and carousels. It's related to carnivals and therefore related to cows. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I knew you were waiting for this clown to pop out of the shadows. Right? It's, I mean, it fits. I feel like we, someone at least needs to question the clown in this investigation. Right? The three C's. Clowns, carnivals, and carousels. <laughs> the trifecta <laughs> alright um, 
Ethan frantically searches for Sean, uh, but he's unable to find him anywhere. And when he collapses, he realizes that he, again, has had an origami figure clutched in his hand this entire time. Is this the same origami or a different new one? And if so, where's the old one? And if it's the same one, do you think accidentally touching or what triggers his blackouts? Great question. Let me pop the video and see if they're the same origami figures. I think they're both like dogs. I think they are too. But I'm going to verify just for the sake of the podcast. We need to give accurate information because this is really important. The origami, if it was a bird, it would support our Merlin theory. If Merlin isn't the KFC by the end of this game, I I will contest it. All right. So first blackout, it is very much resembling a dog with a curled up tail. Looks like a Shiba Inu if we're going to be specific. (laughs) Um, Let me go to Norman Jaden. It is the same dog in the victim's hand. Going back to the final scene, same doggy, same origami figure. I don't know how (laughs) that's going to play into anything, but... Okay, but hear me out, right? Let's go back to the clown. (laughs) (laughs) What are clowns known for? Balloons. Balloon animals. Who's to say that that skill set doesn't transfer to paper as well? Oh. You're blinking and thinking too hard about this. Yeah. Let me let me noodle on this some more. Noodle it. It's gonna keep me up all night. As Ethan is running around trying to find his son, why isn't he calling Grace to see where his son is? Maybe Sean knew to go find his mom when his dad is just blacking out because it's not mm-hmm. gonna be the first time Sean sees his dad blacking out. Sounds like he's a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, that's not funny. Uh, it's a very serious issue. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's a good good question. Why isn't he doing more? Like, okay, I understand running to where you last saw him and then running home. But then he runs out into the street again instead of, like, calling the cops. But I think going back to the coma theory, maybe the reason why he does, like, these things and doesn't call the cops and, and that the cops aren't involved within his dreams is because he's still in a coma and Ethan and Jason are still okay, thanks to Merlin, but... That's actually, you know, back in the old days with mining, the whole canary in a coal mine, they would sacrifice a canary's life for the life of the crew. So maybe there is some symbolism here. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're so wrong, but for some reason it's working. <laughs> Let's see how wrong we can take this theory. Well, there's no batteries to track like there are in Atlas, but we have to track something. So, Kathy, there are QTEs in this game, and you're going to tell me my percentage. How good did I do in part one? How many decibel points do you want this percent to be? As many as you would turn in on a report at your job. Uh, I'll just do two for now. (laughs) (laughs) Why'd you ask me? (laughs) I didn't know if you had a preference. (laughs) Uh, well, <laughs> well, you got a 95.95 this game. I'll, yes, and pretty good. Yeah, I did miss one good. on purpose, though, because I felt like it was inappropriate how much Ethan was demolishing his child at that sword fight. <laughs> yeah. Okay, can I guess my game total percentage? Okay, let me write it down. I'm going to guess. I'm going to go pretty close. 
but I know the game gets harder. So I'm going to say 87.3. 87? I thought you'd give yourself a bit higher. I'm going to give you... I was thinking like 97, but now... Oh, the confidence in me. Nope, you already said it. <laughs> no, well, no. I was because you, you were so... I, I'd have so much confidence in you, but you barely have any in yourself. If I don't purposely miss any, how much better would I have done? You'd immediately go from about 96 to 97%. Wait, you said 96? I thought you said you're, 86. You're at, <laughs> no, you're at 95.95. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I take it back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's why I thought that you dropped so low from 95 to 87. 94.2. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to stick with the 97%. Episode look back is that this part one gave me so much anxiety, especially towards the end. I don't have kids, but like the thought of my niece or my nephew getting lost and stuff gives me so much anxiety. And I hate that you chose this game because now I'm going to be stressed until we watch the next part. I never got lost in a mall, but I did fall down an escalator in a mall. (laughs) (laughs) And we had we had to go into the Macy's. To find an elevator for, like, five years because I would not go anywhere near an escalator. Leah, what? I fell down an escalator. When? I don't know. What? I did not know that. Yeah, petrified of escalators. We took escalators, didn't we? When did we go to the mall together, though? High school. We did go during, uh, when we watched Over the Hedge. That was my birthday? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And my mom fell asleep in the theater. (laughs) really yeah i did not know that that was a while ago that was that was uh elementary school Mm -hmm. anyway it didn't i got over it it hurt it hurt a lot did you fall just like one or two steps or like from top to bottom you know in my mind it was top to bottom but in reality it was probably more like four or five did you fall to the bottom and like or did someone stop you or oh no i fell no one stopped me I I'm stressed for you now. I appreciate that. If you what? if you need to navigate our mall, go into Macy's. <laughs> You'll find an escalator to take your no damn it, not an escalator. <laughs> You'll find an elevator to take you to the top floor. Have you been to the ones at the convention center? <laughs> God, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, it's pretty tall. It's pretty steep. Okay, new story though. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Yeah, yeah. Have you parked in the parking structure and had to take the tall, tall, tall escalator back up? No, because we weren't rich like you guys to park in their parking lot. We had to walk all the way from our hotel. <laughs> if you were staying at a hotel within walking distance, you could have afforded the parking garage. <laughs> what I was going to say is, it's like a two or three story escalator. It's tall. And so I'm standing on it. I don't like heights. And I also don't like escalators, as we have discussed. Uh-huh. And the guy in front of me was goofing off being an idiot. And then he, like, starts to fall backwards. And you know that <laughs> jolt you do when you start falling where you're like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he did oh, that. No. And I was like, oh, my God. He's going to fall. And we're all going to fall. <laughs> it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> it's going to be the-, the 2015 Disneyland escalator pileup that lives in infamy. Uh-huh. His balance came in to save the day. We need to end this episode immediately. This needs to be over. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we need to. 
We need to wrap this up. <laughs> Welcome back to season two. Thank you for listening. We're going to play our new outro. We're going to try to be uh, to kick it up a notch in terms of professionalism this year. Are we off to a good start? I don't know. I think that's it, though. Anything else you want to say, Kathy? Uh, no. <laughs> Thank you for coming back to listen to us talk about the three C's. Carnivals, clowns, and canaries. Yes. Watch out. Don't. Just don't. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't know why you're not stopping me. I want to see where this goes. That's why. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We need to stop. Count us off, yeah. please. For the love of God. Okay. Voice recorder on one, three, two, one. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to send in any questions, comments, or game suggestions. You can find all our contact info on our website, replayreviewspod.com, or contact us directly through our site. Did we completely miss something? Are we way off the mark? Or you just want us to take a deeper look at anything from the game? We'll tackle any topics you all want to hear in our season wrap-up episode. We also have a Reddit where we discuss anything we're curious about. Go take a look and let us know what you're thinking. Our theme music is Condemned by Eggy Toast. They'll play you out, and we'll be back next week.